We'll be in uh, Jonah uh, chapter 4 this morning, so if you'd like to turn there uh, in your Bibles and read along with me, I'll give you just a moment to do that. This will be our last week together in uh, Jonah. Uh, Next week, Harry will kick off a sermon series in uh, the Gospel of John. Let us not wish away today. Read with me from Jonah chapter 4. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That that is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. And therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? And Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. And he sat under it in the shade till he, should, till he should see what would become of the city. And now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that he might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. And so Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when the dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant. So it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint, and he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This is God's word. It's without error in any part. It's given for our good and for his glory. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, as we open your word this morning, we ask that you would open our hearts. That we might hear from it. That your spirit might be at work in us that we might grow in our faithfulness, in our love for you, in our obedience to, to your word. That you might grow our hearts. That you might remind us of your, your pursuit of us. Your grace and your mercy and your love that we have been shown in Christ Jesus, our Savior. In whose name we pray. Amen. You can take a seat if you would like. So we're, we're at the end of the story. Jonah's uh, time in in, in front of us is coming to a close, and we're beginning now to to kind of reflect from this point forward on on Jonah's heart after all that's happened. Think about all that's happened. He's been called and he's fled. He's, He's been thrown overboard. He's been swallowed. He's been spit up. He's proclaimed uh, the, 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 the word of the Lord to the people of Nineveh. He's seen this great city repent and God relent. And, and now we get to this final chapter where, where we continue to see God's pursuit of Jonah. And, and through that, his pursuit of, of us. Because what we're going to see here in, in Jonah is a lot, like I said at the very beginning, that, that we are a lot like Jonah. That we have that rebellious spirit in us that Jonah has. We're going to see this morning... Uh, two things in this passage. We're going to see Jonah's heart. And in Jonah's heart, I, I hope you can take a moment and examine your own and see that, 
we share more with him than we might want to admit. And we're also going to see God's compassion towards Jonah. And in that compassion, we'll see again his pursuit of Jonah. So if you would, just turn with me uh, to Jonah chapter 4. And let's see uh, Jonah's heart here in this passage. First, we see that, that Jonah in verse 1 has a heart that's full of anger. Right? It, it, it says, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. It displeased Jonah exceedingly, and it was angry. And in fact, in, in a more wooden translation, the, the Hebrew could actually be translated to say, it was a great evil to Jonah. And so he was angry. That, that what God had done in relenting his disaster upon Nineveh in Jonah's eyes was a great evil to Jonah. That, that, that these people coming to know the Lord, to, to, to cry out to Him, repenting of, of their hard-heartedness, repenting of, of their evil, laying down the violence that was in their hands as their king had, had called them to do, was a great evil to Jonah. How, how can this be? He's a prophet. How, how can it be evil when, when these people have come to, to call out to the one true and living God that Jonah's a prophet of. It, it seems kind of mixed up. It seems backwards. I mean, Jonah's a prophet, and he believes in this one true and living God, and as a prophet, he should long to see more and more followers of this God, and yet it is a great evil to him that this has happened. Why would someone who's a prophet get angry that more people have begun to follow the God they're a prophet for? Because Jonah couldn't bring himself to desire God's grace for these people. Jonah couldn't bring himself to desire God's grace for these people. These are, are people that, that have been enemies of, of the people of God for a long time. It, it's on the regular that, that they've been trying to destroy and wipe Israel out of existence. And so he can't bring himself to desire for the enemies of God to know God's mercy and God's grace. He, he can't desire to see them repent and God relent. Because in Jonah's mind, there are certain types of people that don't deserve to be shown grace and mercy. In Jonah's mind, there, there are people that shouldn't know the compassionate heart of God. And so he's angry. And he's angry at God. And this anger leads him to be vindictive, right? I mean, verse, verse 5, Jonah goes out of the city to sit on a hillside to the east and, and wait to see what will happen to Nineveh. What's he waiting for? What's he doing as he leaves the city? He's hoping that God's going to rain down judgment. He's hoping for another Sodom and Gomorrah. He's angry and bitter that God would show grace to them, to these kinds of people, and he's still holding out hope against hope that God's going to change his mind again and he's going to rain down judgment upon them because that's what they deserve. His heart is full of anger, and it's vindictive. We're not like this, right? I mean, we, we don't have people in our lives that are hard to love or forgive or pursue. We, 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 don't, we don't take delight in anyone's suffering or misfortune, right? I mean, we're, we're, not, we're not like Jonah in this way. At least we would never admit to it. We would never say it. We'd never put it so plainly. 
But we do, right? We, we take delight when that, that person that we think is a hypocrite gets exposed as a hypocrite. That that, that, that that sleazy politician gets exposed to be an empty suit. We take some delight in those things. We, we, we rejoice a little bit that they got what was coming to them. We love when those people get what is due them. We love to see those kind of people fail. Never admit it on a personal level. But we take some delight in those kind of things. We're just like Jonah, sitting on the east of the city waiting for God's judgment to rain down on those people. And just like we delight in, in, in seeing God's judgment rain on them, we actually can't believe that God would love them, that God would show them grace, that God would show them mercy, that God would allow them to repent, and that he would relent of their judgment. Because we, we, we live in a, a highly polarized and deeply tribal, emotionally charged culture currently that says that those people over there are awful, that those capital T people over there are awful, and they don't deserve grace or mercy. They deserve judgment. They deserve what's due them. And that's exactly what Jonah is saying. And we use that word, and we don't even really know some of the people that we use it for. We hear one little quip on social media or on the news and we automatically label them. Or, or, or some horrendous crime of theirs gets broadcast to the world and their sin is exposed to everyone and we begin to say they're awful. And yet if our sin was exposed to everyone, they would say the same of us. That's Jonah. His angry heart isn't just one that's vindictive, it's one that struggles to show mercy. Right, verse, verse 2, what is Jonah doing? He's crying out to the Lord. You know, he's angry at God, and so he's praying to God. And I hope we're people that when we're angry with God, we're, we're people that are praying to God. That, that, that's where we're going with our anger. We're not talking about our anger, but we're actually talking to him about our anger. Jonah's doing that. He's actually setting a good example for us in this way. But look at his prayer. And he prayed to the Lord, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? And now we found out why he really fled to Tarshish. You know, we had all these hypothesis, all these possibles, but now we really find out. That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. What, 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 what's he saying? God, I'm angry with you because you're God. God, I knew these things are true about you, and you went and done the things that I knew were true about you. The exact same thing I said was going to happen, God, you did. And now I'm angry. I mean, he's like a toddler stomping his feet, throwing a temper tantrum because God is exactly who he knew God to be. How absurd is this? It's like, I knew this would happen. And he defends his running and he impugns God all in the same prayer. He says, who you are and what you are doing is wrong. It's wrong. How many times have we said that to God? God, I think I know a little bit better than you. God, 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 maybe we don't say it that exact same way, but a little less blunt, but we say things like, this should never have happened to me, or that should never have happened, or this should have happened to me. I should have gotten this, not that. They should have gotten that and not this. And we start down that road, and that's the road that Jonah's down and headed down full steam right now. What we're really saying is, is, I'm not only not getting what I deserve, but those people are getting far better than they deserve. I mean, that, that self-righteous heart of, of Jonah that we saw back in chapter 2 
that we, we thought maybe he had worked through with, with God because what happened in chapter 3 is it's back. It's back. I deserve this and they deserve that. He can't understand why God would show them mercy. See, when we start withholding from God, when we start withholding our loyalty and our prayers, it's not just that we're saying, God, I, I know better, but God, I am better. I'm wiser than, than you. I know the ways of the world and how this should all work out. I, I, I know how my kids should turn out, how my life should turn out. I know what my retirement should look like. I know what my marriage should look like. I know how my relationships should work. And God, you need to get in line with what I know. God, I, I, I know who should be shown mercy. And you need to begin to show mercy to the exact same people I think should be shown mercy. And you need to judge the same people that I judge. That's what Jonah's crying about. That God is God and God's doing God things. And God things don't line up with what Jonah desires. And what Jonah wants and what Jonah thinks is right. And we sound just like him. We, we, we head east of the city holding out hope against hope. That God will get on board with our agenda. Jonah's heart's also blind. You see it as, as this begins to close. And, and then the close of chapter 4 and in verse 10, the Lord says, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. Should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left hand and also much cattle? Jonah can't understand God's grace here. I mean, God's responding to his little temper tantrum about the plant withering and dying and saying, you're upset about the plant dying? And there was a whole city of people that were on their way to dying and I relented because they have come to know me and call out to me and you want to cry about it? I mean, look at the two things that God's using to compare here. This plant in a city of more than 120,000 and Jonah still doesn't get it. I mean, we've had three chapters of God pursuing Jonah again and again, showing Jonah his mercy and his grace, saving Jonah from what should be his end. And Jonah is still blind to God's mercy and God's grace. He hasn't woken up to it. He has, at some point, because of his hard-heartedness, cut himself off from God's grace. And when you cut yourself off from God's grace, you become a person who is graceless. When you forget his mercy toward you, you become somebody who is merciless. When your heart can't see God's grace towards you, you become blind to his work in your life. And, and, and not only that, it's, it's that instead of being people of grace and mercy, what happens is we become people who are calculating and exacting and cynical and judgmental and vindictive. Just like Jonah. Because that's where he's at. It's like the dad on the sideline at a sporting event who constantly berates his kid to do better. As a coach, I saw it. As a high school coach, we, 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 had, we had what we called the alumni section. And, and they kind of sat in the stands, and they were usually decent parents. And then we had the dad section that we, we tried to get security to move most games. Because they stood right at the end of the bench. As far as our students, our, our team could go down the line, and they stood right at the first spot opening in, in the fence and they would just yell and berate their kids 
And, and, and they could never see the good their kid did. No matter how great of a game they had, the game would end, and, and, and you'd see it. The kid would walk over to, the, to that, that, that place in the fence full of pride. He, he had just had a great game, and the first thing out of the dad's mouth would be like, I can't believe you missed that tackle on third and 23, and they didn't get the first down, but you missed a tackle that would have made it fourth and 25. Or I, I can't believe you dropped that ball. Who, who cares about the 10 receptions and two touchdowns you had? I can't believe you dropped that other one. Exacting. Can never see the good or the beauty that's in front of them. When we cut ourselves off from God's grace and God's mercy, we become like that. We, we, we can't see the good. We can't see the beauty. We can't see the grace. We can't see the mercy. All we can see are the flaws in others. We are blind to our own need for mercy and how we've been shown it, and so we don't show it. We become people who say things, I'm not forgiving that. That's unforgivable. We, we, we become people who say, you've said that and you've done that and you can't take it back now. And instead of showing mercy, instead of showing grace, we hold it over someone else's head for the rest of their lives. I mean, some, some of you are in marriages where that, that happens. Someone says something in, in, in an emotionally charged argument that was, that was hurtful and sinful on their part. And they've come and, and, and repented and apologized, but instead of forgiving and, and extending grace and mercy, you hold it over them. And you lord it over them and you remind them of it every chance you get. That they said this or they did that. There's no mercy. There's no grace. Because we don't remember it. We're never forgiving, never letting them forget. We love that anger feeling. We, we, we love that, that, that sense of self-righteousness, that sense of entitlement we, we, we get when we can hold things and lord things over people. We love it. And, and, and we're saying to God, I'll show mercy to who I want, and I want and need you to show mercy to those same people. We want God to know his place. And do as we want him to do. And that's what Jonah's temper tantrum's all about. We like mercy for us and for those we wish it to be on. And for the, for the rest, we want God's judgment and suffering and sorrow and strife and misery. Maybe. Maybe that's why our non-Christian friends can smell that, that new perfume or cologne that we, we put on every once in a while. It's called the hint of hypocrisy. Because we don't act like people who, who have known forgiveness. We don't act like people who have known mercy and grace when we're judgmental and calculated and cynical. We don't act like people who are welcoming when we're smug and self-righteous. We don't act like people who have been forgiven of so much, shown so much grace and mercy when we're yelling, crucify them. And yet that's our hearts. That's Jonah's heart. See, if grace hasn't penetrated our hearts, then while our mouths might speak of the glories and the riches of the gospel, our lives won't show it. And that's Jonah. He, he proclaimed the glories and the riches of the gospel in his first prayer in chapter 2. He, he proclaims, God, I knew this is who you are. And he proclaims this wonderful gospel refrain from Exodus 34. And yet he doesn't understand it. He doesn't live it. It hasn't affected him. 
And so he's not living it. His heart's not just angry. His heart's not just blind, but it's despairing. Right? Verse 3, he says to the Lord, Therefore now, O Lord, take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. Why is it better for him to die? Why is it better for him to die? Because the entire worldview that Jonah lived in has been turned on its head. Jonah, Jonah lived in this world that said there are good people and there are bad people. And good people get good things and bad people get bad things. And bad things don't happen to good people. And good things don't happen to bad people. And all of a sudden, the one true and living God, the God of Israel, is showing the same grace and mercy that he has shown to his people of Israel to Israel's enemies. And the whole worldview that Jonah lived in has been turned upside down. That those awful people over there have now known the grace and the mercy of God. And so Jonah says, I can't live in this kind of world. I can't live in a world where God's chosen people get the same grace that God's enemies get. I can't live in a world where I'm not valued differently than they are. So take my life. Take my life, Lord. Jonah lives in this reality that, that we question too, right? I mean, it's a, it's a reality that says that, that bad things don't happen to good people. And how many times do we believe that in our hearts and live that out? How many times do we question, why is this happening to me, God? Look at all these I've done, God. Why did you let this happen to me? I don't deserve this. That's the same kind of worldview that Jonah holds. It's been shattered. Jonah can't live in a world where mercy reigns. Jonah wants a God with a heart just like his. A heart that hates the same people he hates, that judges those he judges, that shares the same prejudice and disdain for the same people he does. We're the same way. We're the same way. I think it's the reason we so often deify politics and minimalize Christianity. Because at least with with the political party I align myself with, I know that we have the same disdain for the same things, for the same people. We see the same problems in the world and the same solutions to them. And just like Jonah, when that world comes crashing down, we disdain and despair and lose hope because the way that we operated and fought through the world is gone because that other party won the election. And now we've got to live through four or or six years or however long it's going to be of those people in charge. It's the same kind of mentality. And it's why politics is so such, a, such an idol to us and draws us in. But just like Jonah, we despair. He isn't just despairing, though, because his hope has been threatened. Look when he says the same refrain again. He, he echoes these same exact words later in chapter 4. As the sun rose and God appointed a scorching heat, uh, an east wind and, and, and sun to beat down on the head of Jonah, so he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. It's the second time, it's the second time he's used those words. The first time because his whole worldview was being turned upside upside down, but this time because his comfort is being threatened. Right? His, His shade plant is gone. It sprung up overnight and provided him wonderful shade the day before and provided him great comfort as he waited for God's judgment to rain down on Nineveh. And now it's gone. And so he's in great despair. Take my life from me. Woe to anyone who would threaten our comfort, our rest time, our pleasure, our me time. 
Because when that gets seriously threatened with, with an unrelenting, threatened pressure, we, we, we begin to, to despair. I'm never going to get what I want. I'm never going to get the rest or the nap that I need. I'm never going to feel fulfilled like I want to. I'm never going to get, you know, fill in the blank. That, that's where Jonah's at. We, what we really want, what we really want is, is, is this secure, controllable, middle to upper middle class life that offers upward mobility in the absence of real suffering. That we live until, until past the age of 80 and then we die in our sleep. And, and when that gets threatened, it's God who gets put on trial. It's God who has to answer for it. Because we can't believe in those moments that he is good, that he is strong, or that he is in control. And so we despair. Our hearts reveal what we're really believing. That we don't think we need that much grace or mercy. That we don't think we need God that much. That we don't need God's compassionate heart towards us. And we know it's true by what we act out in front of others. We don't show the grace and mercy. At least not, not to people that are hard to show it to. We show it to people that are easy to love or they're going to love us back. Instead, we show lots of criticism, lots of self-pity, lots of self-righteousness. And we have these moments of despair, right? We, we, we have these moments just like Jonah where we blow our tops. You know, in, in my sermon notes, I just put a story of a Marty eruption, which should tell you that, that it's happened more, more than one time where I've had one of these eruptions, uh, where, where, where my hope was threatened, where my comfort was threatened, and I blew my lid. And Meredith can probably recount to you many of them. We all have them. And, and, and when it happens, you would think that, that because we know someone else is in the wrong and we're blowing our lid at them, that when it's over, we're going to feel vindicated. And we're going to feel good about it. But that's not how it works, right? You, you, you yell down someone so that the argument's over and you've won the argument and they walk away and you don't feel vindicated. You feel humiliated. You feel exposed. You feel naked. See, when, when that veneer of Virginia gentility wears off, what's exposed is just a grumpy, cynical, bitter, self-righteous little man. And that's true. That's what we see in Jonah right now. He's being exposed for what his heart really is. He has a heart full of anger that's blind and despairing, and, and, and we see God trying to woo him back. And we, we've seen it for the whole book of Jonah. God is trying to woo Jonah back to himself. He's trying to woo Jonah back as he, as he has a, a points of fish to swallow him and to spit him up, as he appoints the sailors to throw him overboard. Every step along the way, God has been trying to woo Jonah back with this compassionate heart that he has. We, we, we see his heart of compassion. We see it in his pursuit of Jonah. Right, verse, verse 4, Jonah has, has exclaimed, it's better for me to die than uh, to live. And the Lord says, do you do well to be angry? Do you do well to be angry? And he says those same things in verse 9, right? Do you do well to be angry for the plant. Th these aren't the thunderbolts and lightning and very, very frightening. This isn't God's judgment raining down on him. This isn't him yelling, don't get smart with me, Jonah. Who do you think you are, Jonah? Don't talk back to me, Jonah. No, this is the father calling his child to him. Come. Come, little fellow. Sit on my knee. Let's talk about this. Do you think that was a wise thing to say, Jonah? I think it was a good thing, Jonah. 
Jonah, do, do, you, do you see why we're having this conversation? Do you, do you, do you see, Jonah, that, that this, is, this little outburst is really just the tip of an iceberg? That there's a lot more here than just your little temper tantrum? Jonah, do you, do you see that? It's like this compassionate heart that these questions come out of. He's trying to expose for Jonah the depth of Jonah's sin and hard-heartedness. And throughout this this book, he's been calling and calling to Jonah, taste and see my mercy, Jonah. Taste and see my grace, Jonah. Be reminded of it again and again, Jonah. And we get to the end, and Jonah's still not reminded enough. We get to the end, and Jonah's still blinded to it. God's trying. He's whispering the sweet nothings in, in Jonah's ear. But nowhere in this chapter does it say that Jonah responds. In fact, just like the, the story of, of the prodigal son that ends with us wondering what happened to the older brother, we're left wondering where does Jonah end up? Because it ends with us asking those questions. He says to Jonah, should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left hand and also much cattle? And there's no response from Jonah. Does he repent? Is his heart softened? Does he become more tender? More humble? Does he begin to understand God's grace and God's mercy? We get a little bit of a clue in, from history. If you, if you go to where the modern day, or, or, or where the ancient city of Nineveh would have been, in Mosul, there's actually a, a monument to Jonah. It's his grave. He stayed. He either stayed long enough to die in the heat, or he stayed long enough to just die of old age. But he stayed. Did he stay with a hard and rebellious heart? Or did he stay with a heart that had been humbled by God's mercy and grace? We don't know. We don't know. We also see his compassion, not just in these tender questions, but, but in the care that he shows for Jonah. In verse 6, he, he causes this plant to overnight grow up to provide comfort for Jonah, to, to save him from the heat. But the, the Hebrew there, just like earlier, can be translated really woodenly to say, to, to save him from his evil. Interesting. Interesting that, that it was a great evil what God had done to the city of Nineveh and, and, and relenting in Jonah's heart. And now God's trying to save Jonah from his evil. He's trying to save Jonah from his hard-heartedness. He, he's trying to call Jonah back out of the depths of his depravity and his sin. We, we, we see it, right? Verses 6, verses 7, verses 8. It, it, it says to us, God appointed, God appointed, God appointed. We've seen that language before in Jonah. In Jonah 2, God appointed the great fish. This is another tool from God being used this plant was, was to be used by God. These circumstances Jonah was in were to be used by God to draw Jonah back, to soften him, to wake him up. When was the last time God was trying to wake you up because of your circumstances? When was he using the people around you and the things around you and the places in life that you're in to wake you up? He's trying to say, Jonah, your heart's not in a good place. Jonah, you, you've cut yourself off from your experiencing of my grace. You've forgotten my mercy to, towards you. You've, you've forgotten my compassion towards you. 
you've forgotten my steadfast love and faithfulness towards you, and you're angry now because they're getting it. Trying to woo him back, and he's using this plant, not just as an illustration, but to draw out of Jonah the evil that rests in him and wake him up. So can you see God at work? Can you see God at work in the details? Can you see God at, God at work not just when the sun is shining, but when it's gloomy and raining? Can you see God at work not just when you get the promotion or, or your, your kids are doing well or your marriage is doing well, but, but when you go to the doctor and the report's not good? Or you go for the job review and they tell you you don't have one anymore? Or when the kids are off the path or the marriage is on the rocks, can you see still that God is at work in every detail for your good? That you might know his glory and his riches. That you might know his mercy and his grace. He is inviting Jonah with his questions, with his pursuit to know how ugly his heart is and to see how compassionate his own character is. Jonah, he says, look, you've been running and I've been chasing You've been running and I've been chasing. Haven't you seen my pursuit of you? Just as I've been pursuing them. It says, Jonah, I'm not like you. I'm, I'm not one who would rather run from my enemies. I'm not one who would exclaim, I'd rather die than they know mercy and grace. No, Jonah, I'm one who did die. That my enemies might, might know mercy and grace. I'd rather die, Jonah, that they know salvation than die because they know it. The bedrock of our faith is that compassionate heart of God that, that says he moved towards us even when we were enemies. While we were still sinning, Christ died for us. That he moved towards us, that he lifted the hem of his robe and ran towards us. That he left the party to call us and invite us back in. That's what he's trying to show to Jonah. That's what changes hearts. That's what, that, that's what changes hearts that are full of anger and despair and that are blind. When we really begin to see God's mercy and grace and compassion towards us. And Jonah's forgotten that it took that same grace and mercy and compassion to bring him into the people of God. Not, not, not just ethnically but truly part of the people of God it took God's grace and mercy and Jonah's forgotten it and God's saying wake up wake up he loves you in the good times Jonah he loves you in the suffering and in the dark times in fact because of Jesus we can say that God is with us in that darkness and that suffering in fact, because of, of our Savior, who's one that's acquainted with sorrows, in fact, he's the man of sorrows. He suffered so that our suffering wouldn't be final. He suffered that, that we might be able to look at our suffering and say, how are you using this God? He's trying to show Jonah, through all these pages of Jonah, that he's a God who pursues even the hardest of hearts. And the hardest of hearts is Jonah's. And it's ours. Do you see God's pursuit in your life? Do you see God's love for you and compassion towards you and God's mercy? Do you see God chasing after you in the good times and the bad times? 
And do you hear his cry that says, I'd rather die that you know my grace and mercy? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you that you love us, that you pursue us. We thank you for your compassionate heart full of grace and mercy. We ask as we come to your table this morning that you be reminding us of that. That you would use the means of grace this morning to strengthen our faith. as we partake of your body and blood that was broken and shed for us and the remission of our sins and the reconciliation of our hearts to our great God. Pray all of this in the name of Christ Jesus, our Savior. Amen.